So this morning we are beginning a new sermon series. The title of it is Treasure. We're going to be talking over the next few weeks about our heart condition, our treasure, and God's desires for each and every one of us. We're going to be considering over these few weeks what it is that we are passionate about, what are our yearnings, and how do we try to fulfill those. We're going to consider Jesus' words when he says that we are tempted to serve two masters. And how does that look in each and every one of our lives, serving the world and trying to serve God as well? To think about also the word that Jesus uses when he says that we should offer. What does it mean for us to offer parts of our lives back to God and how that forms and shapes us in attitude and in behaviors? And then Finally, for us to be a people who consider the power of our treasure used for God's purposes and that Jesus says that can free us from worry in this life. How does that play out for us, our treasure? You see, here's what I believe. I believe that God wants for each and every one of us, for you and for me in particular as this context of St. John's in this community, That God desires for each and every one of us to live a large life that is marked by the characteristic of generosity. That when it comes to the moment where someone speaks our eulogy, that one of the things that they lift up is that we were a generous person. That be a characteristic that we are named for. Because generosity, when it is lived out to its fullest, can bring the experience of fulfillment in our lives. It can enable contentment to come. You can gain knowledge that you are making a difference in the world around you and your heart is conditioned to be a participant in what God is doing. That is what generosity can enable us to be and to do. But it all depends upon our treasure. And how we use our treasure. As many of you know, I've told you this story before, Margaret and I moved in 2009. We sold a house that we owned in Lee Summit. And and to be honest with you, it was more than just a modest house. It was a fairly nice house in the Longview area of Lee Summit. Kind of south and west down by Longview Community College. It was a a one story, a story and a half. It had four bedrooms. Of course, we were raising kids. It had multiple bathrooms in it. It had all kinds of open living space. We had a full finished basement in it. It was everything and more than we really needed. But we loved living there. We lived there for about 10 years in that house. And then when we moved to Liberty, it got to be a little bit too much of a commute. So we decided to sell the house. 2009. Prime time to sell a house, amen? Or any of you know the real estate market, you know? Wasn't exactly the best time to actually sell a house, but we did. And so we moved to this house in Liberty, owned by a builder, and we leased it from him. And it was a, a ranch style with a walkout unfinished basement. You're getting the picture, aren't you? You know? We went from one size house to Another size house. I I honestly think it took my wife about a year to forgive me for that move. You know, it it was a change of venue for us. It was much different than, than what we had been used to and accustomed to. So in this move, we knew that we could not take everything with us that we owned. 
So we had to go through this exercise of determining what was our treasure, what did we value, and what could we get rid of. The number one thing that we got rid of was the trash that was in the basement that we kept hanging on to. And you all know what I mean. There's just some things that you have in your house that literally could go to the dump. It's never going to be used by you again, and it's probably not really of value to anybody else. So we made a couple of trips to the Lee Summit Dump. We got rid of some things. But we made a lot of trips to Goodwill because we had stuff that we were no longer using that someone else could use. And it was better for us to give it away and to donate. Fifteen plus years of being together, ten plus years of living in the same house, we had to go through the exercise to downsize some things, to put things away. We had to make choices on what we were going to keep as our treasure and what we were going to let go of, to decide what was of value and what was not of value. You know, in the 23rd Psalm, David says these words, My cup runneth over, overflows, right? You think about it in our culture today, how many of us have homes that overfloweth? Something in almost every single corner beyond as well. Did you know that in the United States there are 2.3 billion square feet of rentable storage space available in our country, right? Self-storage units are all over the place. Why? Because we store our excess stuff. The things that we have that can't fit in our house, we put them into our storage units and there it sits Probably not to be used. And if you miss a couple of payments, it winds up on TV in storage wars. Being sold, right, to somebody else, if you think about it. Our appetites are great, my friends. All of us know this. And our possessions sometimes overflow. Joan Chittister, in her little book, Our Holy Yearnings, talks about our heart condition. She talks about our yearnings, our cravings, our appetites. She says, The pursuit of human fulfillment drives every single one of us to yearn and relinquish and search again in trying to fulfill our passions. This human need for fulfillment nips at our heels. It prompts us to twist and turn through life almost inexorably, indomitably, until we are exhausted from pursuing. And finally, we get to the point where we settle for the less than in life rather than seeking for true satisfaction. She goes on to write and say that the world around us is only too happy to feed our vain needs. What strong words for us. And you think about what really does kind of motivate us, what drives us. Maybe it's the false belief that the one who has the most toys in the end, come on, say it with me, wins, right? We believe that the one who can collect the most toys in the end ultimately wins the game of life. But is that really true? Is that really true? You think about the pharaohs. The pharaohs built these massive tombs called what? Pyramids, right? And they put all of their treasure in it, as well as all these things that they thought they would need for the afterlife. And who has them now? Joshua? The British Museum of Antiquities. The British Museum of Antiquities. Right? 
Museums around the world have all of these treasures that the pharaohs thought they needed. Some grave robbers, they wound up with some of these possessions as well. And many say also that the desert swallowed up much of this. Not a single one of the pharaohs has their treasure with them in the afterlife. Because those of us who have the most in the end really don't win because you don't take it with you. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaks to a community of people that have just gathered around him. It's so vast that he has them all sit down on this mount side while he preaches to them. The number's vast. Nobody really says how many it is. It's just a large enough crowd that they sit on the hillside. And Jesus teaches them about multiple different things in this sermon that's recorded in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. One of them is about treasure. He speaks to them about the effect that treasure has on the human heart. For Jesus knows the pressure that it can put upon relationships. How money and treasure can cause division in communities and nations and across the world. That it can be all-consuming and burdensome at the same time. And that the accumulation and the loss of your treasure is not just financial... It also has an emotional and a spiritual aspect. And so Jesus teaches them that where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And we might assume that really it should be the other way around. Where our heart is, there our treasure would go. I don't know how many of us have ever achieved that. To be passionate about something in our lives and our money flow right to that No, so often it is that we just spend our money for certain things and all of a sudden we find our lives in tune with that. Our hearts go where our checkbook pays. I could easily think about ways in which we each could also reject this kind of teaching to be a person that that sees our treasure being stored up in heaven. Why would we want to do that? We live in a temporal world around us, dear Jesus. Why in the world would I want to give things away to other people? Isn't it about me? I mean, if you think about it, Jesus was this carpenter who calls all the rich people to give everything away. That's his invitation. And yet he had no home and no mortgage. Really? If you think about it, no business, no investments, no nets to mend, no livestock to raise. He was a wandering, possessionless, homeless preacher who had no responsibilities, if you think about it. And so it's easy for us to reject this Jesus who had none of what we have as the pressures of life and say that his message isn't real or true. But I think we miss out on a point. I think we miss out on the fullness of who Jesus was and is as the one who is the incarnate representation of God. The one who is fully human and fully divine. And that Jesus was the one who was with the Holy Spirit and God at the day of creation and participates in that recreation of all things. That the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit created everything. The treasure of the world belongs to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that you and I are the temporary tenants of this world. And we are simply the users of all of God's treasure. And while God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit own all things, the amazing part of the story is is that they gave all things to us. For our good, for our blessing, for our benefit. If you think about the story of Jesus, how easy it would have been for him to have come 
and simply claimed the throne of David, for that was his earthly inheritance, that was his right. As a son of David, in the line of David, the kings who had come to rule both Israel and Judah and the combined kingdom, that was his right to assume that throne, to come and amass all the treasures of Israel and the earth under his own rule and reign, to have all things again under his authority and his power, and to use those things. God certainly could have done that in Jesus the Christ, and yet Jesus sacrifices that. He does not come to claim that. He comes to give it all away. The words of Philippians chapter 2 might come to mind for you. In the beautiful hymn that the writer wrote, he said, Though Jesus was in the form of God, he did not consider being equal with God something to exploit. But he emptied himself. Taking the form of a servant, he became like us human beings. And when he found himself in the form of a human, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Death on a cross. What was his earthly treasure? What he could have claimed? Jesus gave everything away. And you go wonder why. Why would he do that? It's because the treasure, the truest treasure for God, isn't the possessions of a kingdom or the world. The true treasure is the people of God. You and me. As it was the people on the Sermon of the Mount. That God wanted the relationship with each and every one of us, not the treasures of God's creation. And so the burning, maybe the the salient question for each and every one of us this morning, dear friends, is to ask ourselves, where is my treasure? Where is your treasure? Because that's where your heart is today. I know a couple who got divorced not too long ago. Several years back... uh, There was a golf course that was built in part of their city, and and the couple bought a membership at this golf course, and and with the golf course also came the, the membership to a fitness center and the swimming pool and all these different kinds of amenities, and and the husband began playing golf, and and he was a pretty avid golfer. He'd play a couple of times a week, but now he had the advantage of a membership, and so he would start playing on a daily basis. Every time the weather was good enough, he'd finish work, he'd go to the golf course, He'd play golf till it got dark. He did this through the week. But then he started doing it all day on Saturday from sun up to sundown. He'd go to church, but then after church, rush out to the golf course and play till sundown. So golf became something that, that he invested a lot of time and energy in. His wife would go to the fitness center and she'd work out there. And sometimes she would lay by the pool for a while. But, but any of you know anything about golf? How long does it take to play a round of golf? You know, if you're really good, like, you know, maybe a Lowry Jones or somebody like that, you might be done in four and a half hours. For those of us that are not as good as Lowry Jones, six, seven hours later, we might come rolling in off the golf course or something like that, right? You know, it takes a while to play a round of golf. And what happened for this couple was, is the wife found herself spending more and more time Alone. And what got communicated in this relationship was that the husband treasured his golf time more than his relationship with his wife. And they divorced. 
Billy Graham, all of us know that name. The great evangelist of the late 20th century was asked this question late in life. If you could, would you go back and do anything differently? And his answer, surprisingly, was yes. Of course I would. He said, I would spend more time at home with my family and less time on the road evangelizing. I would spend more time in study and less time preaching. I wouldn't have taken so many speaking engagements if I had it to do all over again. Joan Chittister goes on to write in in her writing about our yearning. She says this. She says, maybe the need for each and every one of us as we yearn for something is to find our fulfillment in God. The God who wants to be our treasure. She says, she says that yearning is the holy sign that we were made for more than the apparent, the tenuous, the temporary. We begin to know now that nothing in life can ever satisfy the human heart. Yearning is what tells us that we were made for holiness. Yearning is holiness itself in disguise. It keeps us looking for the God who is complete satisfaction. For the God who is everything. For the God in whom we lack nothing and because of whom everything else pales into nothingness. The nothingness that it is. And when we finally discover that God is all that really is. That nothing else can ever satisfy our yearnings. That everything else is empty however full we want it to be. We finally reach home. God is our treasure. For God has become our treasure. And there our hearts will find fulfillment, contentment, and rest. Jesus says that we have the opportunity to lay up treasures in heaven. That when we are investing our lives in the things of God, when we find our hearts are no longer disconnected from God and others, but rather living in the unity with God and with one another, we will find our truest treasure in God and in one another. So, What steps do you and I need to take today to begin to lay up our treasure in heaven? Here's what I hope you take away from this moment, a couple of things to just kind of reminisce about and and converse about. Yes, I, I think we all would agree that we are people with yearnings, that we keep trying to figure out how to satisfy this longing that is within every single one of us's hearts and souls. God, through Jesus, invites us to find that fulfillment of our yearnings in the one true source, the holiness of God, that God might become our treasure and that our hearts might be filled with these passions for God and the passions of God, for they are the truest meaning to our lives. So as you think about your invitation for today and as you, as you go forward from this moment and you wrestle with these thoughts, Maybe the number one question we need to think about and ask ourselves is, is where is my treasure? What do I treasure the most in my life? Because ultimately that's where our hearts are. And to hear the invitation of God today to come and treasure God above all other things, to find that contentment that we seek in our lives, to discover a greater depth of joy in our relationship with God and with one another, And to come and participate in God's mission and vision 
that is for all the world. Allie and Denny and I had the opportunity this week to go to the Leadership Institute at Church of the Resurrection. And in the closing of our time together, Adam Hamilton asked this question. He said, what won't get accomplished for God if you do not answer God's calling for you? Think about that. If we resist the call and the invitation of God, he implies that something will go undone. For the mission of God. I'd like to adapt that this morning and ask you this closing question. What won't uh, won't get accomplished for God if we continue to treasure the wrong things? Will you join me in prayer? So gracious and holy God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, We praise you for all of creation and the gift that it is to each of us. For it provides for our every need. And through it we witness your generosity. The generosity that is amazing, astonishing. Unfortunately, there are times in our lives though where we worship the creation more than we worship you, the creator. For we have decided that the treasures of this world are more enticing than you. Our hearts. Oh Lord, our hearts have become attached to the temporary things of this time-bound world rather than the eternal treasure of you and our life beyond this. But today we hear your invitation to come. To come and rediscover our eternal treasure which is you. To reclaim that gift that you have given to each and every one of us which is life now and life for eternity. So we ask, O Lord, that you help us to navigate. To navigate this world 